Good morning. And uh, blessings to you all on the gift of Isaac's life and his baptism today. If you'll recall with me for just a moment, um, some of you, well, I shouldn't assume this, um, that you remember anything that I ever say from up here. <laughs> but, because <laughs> quite frankly, sometimes on Monday morning, someone will ask, what did you preach on yesterday? And I'll have to pause and think about it. <laughs> so sometimes I don't even remember what I say. But if you can, recall with me for just a moment, back when we did the series on Ephesians, and that bit about Jesus tearing down the dividing walls of hostility that separate us from, from God and from one another, from being our best self, and how also God in Christ is, is repairing, rebuilding a new humanity with Christ himself, the cornerstone, the center of the whole thing. And even more, how God is, is building a home in which God will abide and dwell, and God is using us, you and me, irrespective of how we got here, God is using us like stones, so stone by stone, brick by brick, remembering us, putting us together into a holy temple built by God, where God is pleased to dwell. The disciples believed that they had arrived. And who could blame them? They had been with Jesus as he was teaching in and around the temple complex. And as they exited the temple, they were overwhelmed by all that they had seen. By the grandeur of it all. By what some believed was the most beautiful building in the known world at that day and time. Look at the size of these stones, they said. Look at the size of these buildings. Herod was quite the builder, among other things. He had rebuilt the temple complex, expanded it to some 24 football fields in size. There are grand arches and gates, wide staircases for pilgrims to come and go. It was white with gold overlay. You can still see seven courses of Herod's temple today in what's known as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. Some of you have been there. Uh, one stone is a, a bit of that in a, in a tunnel beneath the temple. One stone, 45 feet long, 570 tons. It's an amazing place. And the disciples were in awe. A beautiful stone temple the house of God. So we spend a few moments in Mark's gospel this morning. I think it's important to recall where we are in the arc of the overall story. We're just a few days away from Passover and the Last Supper and, of course, Jesus' trial and crucifixion and death. So we're nearing the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and the disciples thought, finally, after three years, we've arrived. They took all that they could see before them, the whole grand temple complex, as, as a sign, a symbol of the presence of the kingdom that Jesus had been proclaiming for three years. A kingdom they believed would be rich and powerful. 
like the kingdoms we build. A kingdom to rival Rome. Jesus was the Messiah. They were his closest companions. The cabinet of his administration, if you will. And so the temple would not only be the seat of his authority, but yes, the seat of their authority. And their position. And their power. Jerusalem would be their capital. And all of it a sign of things to come. God's grand restoration of the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus was unimpressed. So he and the disciples made their way out of the temple complex, through the Golden Gate, down the valley that separates the two, over just a bit up to the Mount of Olives, through the Garden of Gethsemane. And when on the Mount of Olives, it's just a short distance, just a short walk, Jesus turned around and pointed to the temple and said, you're impressed by that, aren't you? Not one stone will be left unturned. It's all going to go away. You believe this is a sign of the kingdom. You're focusing on the wrong things. And sure enough, 40 years later, Rome pretty much destroyed Herod's temple. As one commentator has written, Jesus saw through the facade. The temple pretended to be the house of God, the intersection of human life with God's grace. But Jesus saw that too often those who inhabited the temple, who spent their time and energy in the temple, failed to then embody God's love in the world. There was a disconnect between the life of worship and sacrifice that was taking place inside that grand building and the lives of those who claimed to be the people of God when they went about their day-to-day life on the outside of that building. This writer goes on to say that Jesus wept over the side of the temple and wept over Jerusalem, not because on the surface he was opposed to buildings, but because he longed for the people who inhabited those buildings to faithfully live out what the buildings themselves represented. He knew the kingdom of God was about far more than any building, or other signs of earthly prominence and power. And so to the shock and amazement of his disciples, he pointed to it and said, it will all be gone. Don't focus your attention there. Life with Jesus won't lead the disciples where they thought they might go. The story's not going to end the way they want it to end. And Christ is for sure king, but it appears that Christ is king of a very different kind of kingdom. You know, you know what seems to, to draw the, the most criticism from the prophets and from Jesus? It's, it's rarely ever the immoral behavior of those people, you know, the ones that we're glad we're not sinners like them. It, it's Jesus and the prophets reserve their harshest criticism For when the people of God, good religious folk, temple goers, um, when, when they put on appearances, when we divorce what happens in here with how we live out there, 
when we gather for worship and then fail to embody the love and the mercy and the justice of God beyond the temple doors. The prophets even go so far to tell us that God despises our worship when when it's not embodied in love of neighbor and love of stranger and love of enemy, love of the people God loves. It's so easy for us to mistake the means for the end, for what the true temple is all about. So the disciples are not unlike so many others that came to Jerusalem, and upon seeing Herod's architecture, came to believe that that grand uh, grand building was the end, the completion, the fullness of the kingdom. Tragically, they had done what we oftentimes also do. They had located and reduce the presence and power of God to a specific and limited place and, and for a specific and limited people. They had confused the means with the end, had made the temple the object of their worship rather than the place of worship. And Jesus shocked them all by saying, it's all going to go away. Don't focus on the wrong things. It's a healthy reminder for us that our, our facilities... Our programs, our ministries, my title, my vocation, all the institutional stuff of church, they are a means to an end, but never the end itself. They're tools for accomplishing the work of the kingdom, but not the kingdom itself. Frederick Meekner was right when he said, maybe the best thing that could happen to the church would be for some great tidal wave of history to wash it all away. The church buildings tumbling, the church money all lost, the church bulletins blowing through the air like dead leaves, the differences between clergy and laity all gone. Then all we would have left, and hear what Beekner says, all we'd have left is each other and Jesus, which is all there was to begin with. And so, Jesus and his friends, standing on the Mount of Olives, looking at the temple, and Jesus says, don't focus on the wrong things. That will one day pass. Focus on that which is eternal, the work that God's called you to. Now, as is often the case with Jesus, there's more going on here than just a lesson about buildings and institutions. And He was talking about the temple that the crowds could see, but we know that he was also talking about the temple of his own body. On this side of Good Friday and Easter, we know that, that he was referring to, to his death, the destruction of his very body, his flesh speaking about a different way of connecting with God and how he would in a few days surrender his life practically within the shadows of that grand building and how his body was an, a new way of our reaching the heart of God. It's what Paul was talking about when Paul suggested that Jesus is the cornerstone in this something new that God is creating that Jesus is the kingdom of God come upon the earth, the very place and presence of God with us, the intersection between heaven and earth, not in a building, but in a person, in his body, his, 
his pierced hands, his pierced feet, his pierced side. There is the temple in which God is pleased to dwell. So maybe Jesus was just trying to say, you you see the buildings and the programs and the institutions and the positions and the titles and all the things that you may think are signs of the kingdom of God coming on the earth, the things that you equate with church. I understand that you may be overwhelmed by them, awestruck by them. They can be a wonderful means of grace, important tools for doing the work of the kingdom. But they're never the kingdom itself. And if they get in the way, if they get in the way of of you being God's people, then you'd be better off without them. Not to overstate it, but what we've experienced a bit over the past 20 months is something like that with the pandemic. We've, We've been required to lay aside a number of things that we've associated with what it means to be church. We've had to learn a different relationship with our buildings we've, and, and programs and ministries. And, and while painful, maybe it was a way God has helped us learn and be reminded of what really matters. Maybe it's helped us remember that the true temple is the Lord Jesus Christ. And by baptism, we've been incorporated into what God is building. That we are, in fact, the body of Christ, us the flesh and blood in this room, that the institutions and stuff will come and go. But this, our relationship together in Christ, this is what's permanent and lasting, eternal. And that God's kingdom is coming on the earth in and through us. And we can either align ourselves with what God is doing or not. What this means for us is that while the work of Christ is finished once and for all in the cross and resurrection, our participation in that work is not. We're co-creators with God in, in what God is building and creating and doing among us. There's work to be done. In Christ, the kingdom has come and is coming, and God is using you and me, stone by stone, person by person, to build something new. Something so beautiful that all the world will one day be drawn to it. We have the holy privilege of telling others what God is doing and working for and praying for that kingdom. This this passage is is not, um, as we so often misread it, it's not about the end of the world, some apocalyptic vision, keep your head down till Jesus returns, watch for the signs. That's not what it's about. it's, It's a call for patience and perseverance and faithfulness in the midst of an anxious world tossed to and fro by by kings and leaders who, who are doing their level best to secure their power and their position and build their kingdoms. It's a declaration instead of the coming kingdom of God not located within or limited to a building, but written on our hearts and lived out in all our relationships. The old world, Jesus says, is dying. It's passing away. You see that temple? It's going to be gone someday. Crucified, buried, dead. 
But God is a God of Easter and is always doing a new thing. And, and God is giving birth to a new world, a kingdom not confined to a building, not a kingdom of law and order or policies and propositions and rules and regulations and procedures designed to clarify who has access to God and who doesn't, but a kingdom defined by grace and invitation and welcome with the law of God, Jesus says, literally written on our hearts. A kingdom not found in religious things, but rather in lives transformed by love and relationships that are eternal. So I'm grateful for this holy space. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad, as Jim said, we're not outside today. <laughs> we don't have a tent of meeting with you know, no walls and no heater. We can be grateful for the facilities that are our gifts and tools for our ministry where we can gather and learn and worship and pray and remember what really matters. That Christ is calling you and me to follow him so closely, so closely, that we become the temple of God's presence, the body of Christ in the community, living signs that point to and share God's love, God's welcome, God's blessing. So we have work to do this week, church. Someone needs to finish the sermon. Amen. <laughs>